Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A note to our listeners. We recorded today's episode of Fifth and Mission before Sunday's tragic mass shooting in Sacramento. For the most up-to-date information on the shooting, please visit sfchronicle.com. I'm Dominic Fracasa, sitting in for Cecilia and Damien, and this is Fifth in Mission. In San Francisco and across California, employees at fast food restaurants are forced to confront volatile and sometimes downright dangerous situations at work, either from disruptive customers or from people enduring substance abuse, homelessness, and mental health crises. An analysis of 911 call data in nine California cities revealed that San Francisco fast food restaurants had the highest rate of calls related to violent or potentially violent incidents in recent years. And that's despite having fewer overall fast food eateries compared to other cities. Now, at least one advocacy organization is calling on fast food corporations to step up protections for their employees. Chronicle staff writers Shwanika Narayan and Yoshun Jung have a deep dive on this issue in the Chronicle, and Shwanika joins us now to talk about it. Hi, Shwanika. Hey, Dom. So let's start uh, at the beginning here. So, so what is it exactly about fast food restaurants that seems to make them targets or, or magnets for this kind of activity and behavior? I think it's important to understand the role fast food restaurants play in certain neighborhoods. There are more fast food restaurants in lower income neighborhoods than there are in higher income ones. In San Francisco, for example, many of these restaurants are concentrated in the downtown neighborhoods, you know, where we see the effects of poverty and food insecurity and people who are unhoused uh, more visibly than anywhere else, really. And so these are places that often function as community center of sorts. So besides offering fast and affordable food, they also offer like bathroom access and Wi-Fi, for example, you know, just a general place to gather. But what comes with that is sometimes loitering, which can lead to tense arguments between workers and customers. Workers at fast food places also tend to be younger and are people of color, often immigrants. Fast food places are also easy robbery targets. There's really a multitude of reasons I could go on and on. So let's talk a little bit about the data itself, which is sort of the undercurrent or the the underlying bedrock, and I think in part of this piece. You know, when, when we talk about exactly what is taking place inside these fast food restaurants, and I, and I want to get to the, the, the actual employees and, and what they're going through in just a minute, but anytime you talk about alleged, you know, potential crime or criminal activity, you're dealing with these very kind of rigid categorizations of of crimes and, and the ways in which various law enforcement agencies um, put them into different buckets and what they call them. So in, in terms of the, the data that you have looked at, what exactly is taking place here? What sort of disruptions or alleged violent events are actually taking place according to this study? The initial study came to us from the fight for 15 15- group, which is a nonprofit advocacy organization. They are really the ones that have led the fight for minimum wage to be $15. And so they looked at 911 call data for locations of four 
well-known fast food chains across nine cities in California. And so these chains included uh, McDonald's, Burger King, Jack in the Box, and Carl's Jr. And it showed that fast food workers regularly sort of deal with issues ranging from noise complaints, trespassing, assaults, and armed robberies. The largest categories of these calls for the entire subset of the restaurant locations was disturbances. And that is a wide category that includes all sorts of things such as narcotic activity, maybe, or indecent exposure, uh, public intoxication, things like that. The study also showed San Francisco as having the highest rate of 911 calls related to violent or potentially violent incidents, despite having the fewest fast food restaurant locations in the data set. So in San Francisco, assault and criminal trespasses, for example, accounted for almost 60% of all 911 calls. The Chronicle did its own analysis of the data. My colleague on this uh, story, Yuyan, she sort of took the raw data from the fight for 15 folks along with federal labor statistics and additional research. It showed that what's happening in these restaurants often reflect the neglected needs of communities. The study did not examine why this was the case. Like, why was San Francisco so high up there in numbers? So we don't really know. At this point, I think we can just offer educated guesses, which is, you know, homelessness, insecurity, uh, poverty, all these sort of issues combining along with the fact that fossil places in low-income neighborhoods are these sort of areas people congregate. And it just adds to everything else that's happening around it. So what we end up with are a large log of events, be they violent or potentially violent or falling into this broad category, which could be lots of different things. But really, this all comes back in large part to the employees of these fast food restaurants. I worked in fast food, and I was certainly never trained to to handle, you know, potentially violent disruptions or to, you know, to know what to do if somebody is, you know, nodding off from a potential overdose inside the fast food restaurant. So really, is it fair to say that that is kind of the beating heart of your story? It's, it's looking at what is going on with the employees and what they're having to grapple with, where no one would necessarily expect them to be trained or, or prepared to handle these dramatic and, and potentially dangerous situations. Absolutely. What this story is trying to get to, and I think it does get to, is, you know, what happens in these restaurants often reflect like sort of the frayed safety nets, you know, like the neglected needs of a community. This entire scenario is forcing fast food employees to deal with some of the most dire issues of society, right? They are having to become de facto social workers in some sense, having to address folks who might have like a mental health episode right in their parking lots, for example. And they're not trained for this. One of the workers I spoke to, Jose Ramirez, he's a Spanish speaker. He doesn't even get training in the Spanish language when it comes to trying to handle these things. So language barriers is like another big part of it. We're basically demanding this workforce to almost be a buffer when it comes to mental health issues, addiction issues, other kinds of maybe verbal and physical criminal events without providing them with the tools and the support really needed to to make sure there's a good outcome for the people that are affected and for them as well. The company should make sure that their own workers are safe, like that their safety and security is the utmost concern. And from what we've learned by talking to some of the employees that work at fast food restaurants, that is often not the case. 
You talked to a number of uh, fast food employees for this story. Could you quickly share a little bit about what they told you, what their stories were, what their concerns are about this whole paradigm? They all sort of echoed very similar things. Being on the receiving end of very violent verbal abuse quite often. So so order mistakes. Someone doesn't have a straw uh, given with their drink is like an actual reason that they get verbally assaulted or physically assaulted in some cases. At the Fillmore location, which is a former workplace of Jose's, he was privy to an actual shooting, which led to the death of the person that was shot. And, you know, so they're like involved in a lot of very precarious situations that in some other workplaces would, you know, often give people some time off to deal with very traumatic things. Stay with us. We'll come right back and talk more with Chronicle staff writer Shwanika Narayan right after this. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. So, Shwanika, you mentioned um, the organization Fight for 15. Can you talk a little bit more about what their priorities are uh, around this issue and, and more generally? Absolutely. So the Fight for 15 organization really began in New York City in 2012. Um, this was around when 200 fast food workers walked off their jobs to demand $15 an hour for minimum wage and to um, bargain for union rights. And it has grown since then, by far, like not just national, but international as well. I think now they operate in over 300 cities across six continents. Um, And their membership goes beyond fast food workers. It includes like childcare teachers, airport workers, retail employees, um, or what they call underpaid workers everywhere. And so right now, the Fight for 15 group have lent their support behind uh, a California bill called AB 257, which is the Fast Recovery Act. And it's essentially a bill that's moving through California's state Senate at the moment. It's passed the assembly that would allow fast food workers to help sort of set standards for health and safety across the fast food industry. If passed, this bill would also hold corporations like McDonald's, for example, accountable for ensuring health and safety needs in the workplace. And it would establish a fast food sector council, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a it's a council with different stakeholders. But this group is really pushing for fast food workers to be at the table so they can advocate for themselves about what it is that they need, especially when it comes to precarious situations in the workplace. I want to sort of wrap up Schwanica by, you know, bringing the focus back to the employees at these fast food restaurants who are grappling with so much, as you've described. But what do the workers at these restaurants say they need to feel safer? I mean, the, the legislation that you mentioned sounds like it is animated in large part by what others, you know, think that they need and what will help and what Fight for 15 is organizing around. But what is it that they say they need in order to feel safer? We did not want to single out McDonald's. It just so happened that all the workers we spoke to were McDonald's workers. So this apparently is something that happens across all fast food chains as the study examined as well. But I think the the real core of the issue is also the business model these fast food restaurants operate on. For example, McDonald's, 90% of their restaurants are all franchised. And this is really where 
who gets to be held accountable for what happens to the workers and what issues they deal with sort of crop up. Corporate McDonald's will say, we're going to make sure that our corporate owned restaurants have the resources that they need. For the rest of them, which are owner operated, meaning different owners who own restaurants, it's really individualized. What the workers are asking is for some kind of uniformity in, in a way that can help them process the incident, not just in terms of filing actual paperwork and documenting what has happened, because this differs from location to location. So the ask from the workers is, please let us have a very simple, but a very sort of easy way to document and understand how we go about doing these kinds of jobs on top of our actual jobs. So for example, if there is a shooting in the parking lot, you know, what are the protocols? How do we go about dealing with that? Do we call the cops first? Do we turn to law enforcement? And they're also asking for just better wages and living conditions, I guess. So much of the work they do isn't paid, right? So they're having to be these therapists and, and mental health workers and social workers. They're taking on these roles, but they're also at the you know receiving end of harm where they're being assaulted either verbally, physically, and, and in other ways. And they just aren't compensated for that time. I don't think it's really understood what it is that they go through. So they're also asking for more trauma support and more mental health services in terms of benefits that their workplaces could provide. Well, Shwanika, thank you so much for your time and thanks for your reporting on this. Thank you for having me. You can find all of Shwanika and Yohyun's reporting at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. Our thanks to Karen Creighton for editing this episode. For Fifth and Mission, I'm Dominic Fricasa.